into week five of Crazy Faith. And I do not know about you, but I absolutely needed this sermon series. This sermon series has sparked my faith like never before. To see what God has done just over these past four weeks is something that has been shifting and changing me and my life. And I'm sure it's been doing the same thing for you. We started off talking about crazy faith and what God has done at, here at TC and the, the miracle that he's did in giving us a new building, a new arena. What? And arena, um, Pastor Mike shared that. And then he went on to talk about how sometimes crazy faith starts with what we call baby faith. And that baby faith may grow just to like 51% being sure. You know, we maybe God will, maybe he won't, but we're going to trust him like he is. And we call that maybe faith. And then last week, we had a phenomenal message where Pastor Michael actually brought a boat on the stage. And when they told me that he was going to do that, I was like, what? What kind of boat? I didn't know, y'all, because he, he is likely to do anything. Um, but he brought a boat on the stage and talked about how sometimes God asks us to come out of our comfort zones, come out of our boats that we have built, the boundaries that we have built ourselves, and to walk on water. And we call that wavy faith. So today I'm going into part five of Crazy Faith, and I'm just going to ask you to stick with me. I'm going to start by, I want to share just a little bit um, about myself before I go into this, okay? Um, so in freshman year of high school, I decided to join the track team, and um, by the looks of it, I should have been good. <laughs> I mean, I got the legs for it, right? I mean, I, I should have been good. But not necessarily. Uh, as you, uh, what you may not know is, although it seemed as though it was God was going to make me an athletic person, he did not. And so before I had joined the track team, I had only been on two other sports teams. The first one was basketball. And the second one was volleyball, okay? I was so terrible in volleyball that me and my cousin, who was also terrible, made a song called Bench Warmers about us. The song was about ourselves. Okay. Uh, I was so terrible in basketball that I literally made one shot the entire season. And what my dad described me as uh, when I shot the shot, he said that I threw the ball up in the air and it happened to go into the net. <laughs> so needless to say, when he saw that he had a daughter that kind of looked like a stick bug, tall and skinny, he thought he had gotten a, a Lisa Leslie blessing, but he did not. He did not get that. So, so, so freshman year of high school, my uncle and my dad convinced me to join the track and field team. And uh, I did not want to do it, but I joined anyways. And um, I, rem I remember being on some of the relay races and winning some of those, not necessarily because of my talent, but because of everybody else's talent on the team. But I remember the sensation of winning a race. Yeah. It was amazing. I mean, our coach would run up to us afterwards. The whole entire crowd was screaming. And by the whole entire crowd, I mean the 20 or 30 people that came, they were all screaming. My parents, I could hear them screaming my name. I mean, the sensation of winning the race was absolutely amazing. The terrible part about being on the track team, though, was that to enjoy and to win those races, to feel that sensation of winning the races, it took every day practice. There was no way that my body was going to be conditioned to win a race if I did not run 
to win a race, but only if we trained it and disciplined it enough will we actually win that race when it mattered. But see, here's the thing about practice. No one, even if you beat your time every time, no one runs up to you and tells you how awesome you are. My coach didn't run up to me at track practice and tell me how great of a runner I was. He waited until the meet to do that. My teammates didn't run up to me and say, Bree, we're so glad we got you on the team. That was only if I actually won a race. (laughs) But I was never going to get to the actual winning of a race if I didn't practice for myself. So week five of Crazy Faith, my sermon title is called Daily Faith. Because here's the thing. We live in the age of sensation. Whatever feels good, do it. If it feels good, if it makes you feel good about yourself, do it. And if it doesn't have a feeling attached to it, it may not be authentic. But here's the truth. Daily faith means that I, even though I want to see God do miracles, signs, and wonders in my life, what I know is that may be my faith had to get all the way over there to be able to see those miracle signs and wonders. Daily faith says every single day I'm going to take a step towards my faith growing in that kind of way. So every day I'm going to read my word. Every day I'm going to have accountability. Every day I'm going to talk to God in prayer. Every day I'm going to spend some time in worship. I'm not going to wait till I get here to worship. I'm going to actually crank it up at my house and I'm going to worship by myself. Daily faith is a production or the growth of faith on an everyday basis. And sometimes there is no feeling attached to it. Because here's the thing, when you see God do miracle signs and wonders in your life, everybody wants to be a part of it. Everybody wants to tell you how great you are. Everybody wants to get a piece of that pie. But the truth is, daily faith, don't nobody see this. Nobody sees that I wake up in the morning, I don't really want to spend time with God, but I do it out of discipline. Nobody sees that even though I feel like my faith is really wavy right now, I'm going to just sing some worship songs and I'm going to try to tap into what I want to see in my life. Nobody's going to come and give me accolades for my daily discipline, my daily faith. In an age of sensation, we as believers have to make a choice that even when we don't feel like it, it's worth it. Even when we don't feel like it, it's a part of not just what we do, but who we are to practice our faith on a daily basis. So I don't have a real uh, sexy word for you today, okay? Today, this is all about consistency. Because the things that we want to see, when, when we really need our faith, when it really matters, when the diagnosis comes, when the divorce is settled, when the kids don't come over and visit anymore, when we really need our faith to work, oftentimes we crumble. And it's not because we don't have the capacity to have that kind of faith. It's because we have not conditioned ourselves. And so daily faith means every single day. I'm not just talking to God on days that I think I need him. Even on the days I don't think I need him, I need him. Daily faith is what we're talking about today. So, So here's the thing. The enemy is not afraid 
of our yearly faith, monthly faith, our weekly faith, our every Sunday faith. The enemy is not afraid of that. The enemy is afraid that we will mature to a place that our faith becomes a part of who we are on an everyday basis. He's afraid that we won't just know of God, we will know God. That our time with God is the most important part of our day. Not our workouts, not our time at work, not our meetings, but what sets us up for all of that is the space that we give God in our everyday lives. He is not afraid of us being aware of God when we come to church. He is afraid of us being aware of God all throughout our day. He is not afraid of us feeling the Holy Spirit or talking to the Holy Spirit when we get here. He is afraid that while I'm washing my dishes, I'm speaking in tongues. We all have the capacity for faith to be a part of who we are every single day. That when we get out of bed, the enemy already knows it's on. He already aware of it because I don't go into my day to be the wife, to be a leader, to be the husband, to be the father without acknowledging my dependency on a God who does the impossible. All right, y'all, I'm going too fast. So today we're going to look at a story in the Bible in Mark 4. And we're going to look at this story that Jesus is talking to a group of people, including his disciples. And what Jesus is talking about in this story is is things that stop our faith from growing and maturing into a daily faith. And so we're going to talk about three different things that may be blocking us from making faith a part of who we are every single day. Two things are mentioned in this story. The first one is a seed, and the second one is ground. Okay, the first thing is seed. And when Jesus talks about seed, he is talking about faith. The first scripture actually says that a farmer goes around throwing out seed. In other words, every single week of this sermon series, there has been seed thrown out into our lives. That's faith. Faith has been thrown out into our lives. The thing about the seed, though, It has an ability to produce the harvest that other people can actually feed off of. Fruits that other people can actually live off of. But it is not on the seed to grow itself. See, the seed has to be planted into the ground. And it is determined on the condition of the ground whether or not that seed will actually grow to its fullest extent. The ground that we're talking about is our hearts. Seed has been thrown out, but it only grows based on the condition of your heart. So today we are going to examine our hearts. What are the things that are stopping us, are stopping our faith from growing to its fullest extent? Those are things that may be making our ground not the place where the seed can actually grow. So let's go to to Mark 4. 
And we're going to kind of parallel this story to John 15 too, but Mark 4 is where we're going, to, we're going to stay. So in this story, Jesus is talking to a group of people, and he says, a farmer goes out, he's throwing seed, and, and when he throws seed, basically the first uh, seed throws is thrown on a type of gra- ground, excuse me, on a type of ground that, that can't grow the seed because it's a footpath. And a bird comes and steals the seed. As soon as it throws it, throws the seed out, bird comes steal the seed, okay? Second type of ground, Jesus said the ground was th- the seed was thrown out, but it was on shallow ground. So there was only a little bit of soil that was fertile and good for use and for the seed to grow in, but then there was a rock right underneath it. So when the sun came out, the seed sprouted quickly, but it died because it didn't have deep roots. Okay? The third type of seed fell on thorny ground. And the thorns, as the scripture says, the thorns literally choked the seed out from growing. And then there was a fourth type of ground. And Jesus said it was fertile ground. And when that seed went in, it grew 30, 60, 100 times as much as what was planted. Okay? And so the disciples said, all right, Jesus, we heard the story that you were saying, but... um, can you explain that to us? That, if I was a disciple, I would have been that same person. I heard what you said, but what you say? I don't really get it. What you talking about, Jesus? And that's basically what the disciples said. They said, we heard you tell this story, but we really need to know what does this story mean? And this is where we're going to pick up in Mark 4, 14. It says, the farmer plants seed by taking God's words to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much had been planted. So today we're going to talk about what stops our faith from growing. Because what we want to do is we want faith that has grown and matured so much is a part of our every single day. Not just sometimes faith, everyday faith. But there are things that will stop our faith from growing. The first ground that Jesus talked about was a seed that fell on the footpath. Point number one, things that stops our faith from growing is damage. Here's the thing. In this scripture, Jesus called it a footpath. A footpath is nothing more than what was once fertile ground that has now been walked on for so long, we have redefined it into a footpath. This was not like, oh, we want this area to be a sidewalk. Let's lay some concrete here and everybody can walk this way. It's no, one person walked on it, then another person walked on it, then another person walked on it, then another person walked on it. And it's been walked on so many times now that it's damaged ground. Now it's hardened over time. And because it's hardened over time, we just redefined it. It's a footpath now. 
The areas that maybe have become a part of who you are so much that your faith don't even go there. I'm not even going to worry about that. At this point, I've redefined this as an area that God is not going to touch. I redefined this as an area that faith cannot grow in. So maybe you believe that God can make you the businessman that you want to be. But your footpath is your belief in how you could be a good husband. Eh, I don't know if I can believe. I mean, I, I haven't really seen it done well, so I don't think that's my thing. Maybe, maybe you believe God that he can make you the mother that you want to be to your children. But forgiving somebody else, that's your footpath. I'm not going to let faith touch that. Faith can't grow there. What are the footpaths in your life? The areas that now you have gone ahead and redefined as areas where God will not do a miracle. Because it's a part of who you are now. I thought about this, and I'm going to tell you a real today story, as I randomly do when I'm up here. Uh, for me, one of my footpaths is anxiety. It's so a part of who I've been for so long that sometimes I, it's just, I, just, I know that that's just, my stomach usually gets nauseous when I feel anxious about something. And, and my husband knows that if I say, oh, my stomach hurts, he's like, what are you worried about now? I don't ever have to go take a pregnancy test when my stomach hurts. I know it's just stress. Okay. <laughs> and so, and so I always, I always know when I'm feeling anxious about something, when my stomach just randomly hurts. If I haven't thought about it and then my body reacts to it, I know, okay, this is anxiety. Well, typically before I preach, I always feel that the whole week before. Like, randomly, if I th I'll be work busy working, and then I'm like, oh, I'm preaching this Sunday. And it's like, immediately, <laughs> my stomach starts hurting immediately. And then I started reading this scripture and coming up with what I felt like God was wanting me to say. And I was like, that's a footpath. I've never prayed against it. Wow. I've never said, this is not how I'm supposed to live. I've never said anxiety is not of God or, or I just like, oh, I know I'm, I'm stressed about something. Yeah. Wow. Instead of saying, you know what? This is an area that God can actually change. Yeah. This is an area that I don't have to remain like this. This is an area that has been so part of who I am. I have woven it into the fabric of me, but it's not really me. It's not who God called me to be. And so literally I started praying against it this past week. I said, I will not be anxious before I go minister. I will not be stressed. I will not be worried. And I promise y'all, I'm not kidding when I say this. I promise you, I have not had one upset stomach this past week. Not one. But here's what I'm saying. We all have footpaths in our lives. Things that have been so a part of who we've been for so long, we think it's us. And God is saying, it is not. It is not who I have called you to be, and it is not abundant living. And your faith cannot grow there as long as you have segregated this off as a place where God will not move. The relationship that's been broken for so long, you've gone ahead and just pushed it to the side. God can heal that. The conditions in your body that you feel like is just, this is what I'm going to deal with for the rest of my life. God can heal that. 
you had to determine, even though it's damaged now, I'm going to till this ground. I'm going to believe. I'm going to put my faith out there, and I'm going to see God do a miracle. Where once I thought it was just a footpath. God wants to do miraculous things in our lives, down to the details, down to the everyday, down to the when I wake up in the mornings, not just the big audacious times when we need him to hurry up and come through for us. He wants to heal the damaged areas in our lives. And so what, what I believe is, the scripture talks about that, that the, the enemy, the same came and stole that seed immediately when it was thrown out. Satan has one tactic and one tactic only. He's a liar. How you know you have a footpath in your life is when you line the word of God up against that situation, does it align with it? Because the truth is in God's word. And the enemy comes and he brings lies that we have believed for so long we think is truth, but we don't realize it's not truth until we line it up against God's word. And we can see, oh my goodness, I have been believing a lie. The footpath is nothing but a trail of lies. What lies have we been believing about ourselves? So much so that our faith our faith is falling on hard ground because lies harden us. Lies tell us that we're not chosen. Lies tell us that we're not enough. Lies tell us that we've made too many mistakes for God to make work a miracle there. Lies tell us that God can't do it. Lies will tell us that God doesn't have the ability to do it. And it hardens us over time. Where's the damage coming from in your life? Was the parents that, that were supposed to love you and nurture you didn't do what they were supposed to do? The divorce, being laid off, the kids or the grandkids not coming to visit you, the business falling flat. Over time, if we don't surrender those things to God, they become a footpath. And while God is just waiting on the sidelines, waiting for you to believe in him, waiting for you to surrender that thing to him, waiting to work a miracle right there, we're like, no, not that space. You can work over here, but not over here. Because it becomes hardened over time. But the truth of God's word in John 15 and 16, and I love this scripture, Jesus is talking here, and Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And I have appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. The lies will tell you that you're not chosen, but see, the word of God, the truth says, I chose you. Jesus didn't go around the world talking about eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Okay, I'll let her come here. Okay, no, no, no. He literally designed you in your mother's womb to be here on this earth as a gift to those who come in contact with you. 